0: In The Souls of Black Folk, Du Bois expressed it, expressed it. We're not doing it.
1: <laughs> it's okay. It's all right.
0: Today, we are talking about Battle of the Black Leaders. <laughs> 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 We're focusing on W.E.B. Du Bois versus Booker T. Washington.
1: You gotta say in your like, fight announcer voice, like in the. Oh yeah! Oh wow!
0: Okay, here we go. I'm not good at that. W E B Du Bois versus Booker T Washington. I think that's perfect.
1: (laughs) Very well done. Very well done.
0: Yeah, they had contrasting ideas on black advancement.
1: They did, and I've got thoughts.
0: Yeah, we do have thoughts on these folks. We've talked about their philosophies in passing. Mm -hmm. I think most people growing up learned a little bit about each of these guys. Truth. Not as much as I learned doing research for this episode. I'm just not as much as we're
1: about to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't (laughs) think so.
0: I like most of what I learned about W. E. B. Du Bois.
1: And I'm still mad at Booker T. I came in the game mad at him, and I'm still mad. I'm even more so now.
0: I mean, I don't know anything about his personal life. We're not diving into their personal lives today, their no. family lives or anything. We're really just going to talk about...
1: Their philosophies.
0: Their education and their philosophy and their views. W. E. V. Du Bois was a shit starter! Is the one thing I learned. I'm like, he was calling everybody out.
1: He had that smoke fire. He did.
0: Everywhere he went, he was unashamedly honest
1: getting in
0: your ass just like yo yo views is fucked up and this is why like he just <laughs> he did that with frederick Douglass, booker t washington the naacp <laughs> a different organization that he started i'm just like damn bro you just you remember back in the 90s about it
1: about it <laughs> yes <laughs> that's that is W.E.B. Du Bois. He is bad about it. Yeah. He's
0: staying ready. It's just so many things in his history where it's like, this dissolved over a quarrel. There was a conflict. There was a disagreement <laughs> about this view and this philosophy. And I'm like, he was very strongly um, tied to his views. He was a man of integrity is uh, yeah, what I have come to appreciate about him. At least insofar as what I learned, okay?
1: Meanwhile, I want to take a pillow and yeah, just smack booker t washington a few times
0: (laughs) (laughs) what we're going to do here olivia is going to talk about booker t washington i am going to talk about the history of w.e.b du bois we're going to get into their beginnings and their philosophies first and then we're going to talk about where they start having opposition and disagreement with each other
1: metaphorically throwing hands
0: (laughs) they were intellectually throwing hands (laughs)
1: True.
0: True. Academically.
1: Philosophically hand-throwing. Philosophical fisticuffs.
0: <laughs> wow. That was good.
1: I'll start. Yes. Booker T. Washington was born on April 5th, 1856 in Virginia, and he died November 14th, 1915, age 59, in Tuskegee, Alabama. Booker Taliaferro Washington was an educator and reformer, the first president and principal developer of Tuskegee Normal Industrial Institute, now known as Tuskegee University, and the most influential spokesman for Black Americans between 1895 and 1915. I think there are a few people who might have something to say about that.
0: Wow. That is, <laughs> whoa. They really yeah. threw his ass up on a pedestal. Okay. They
1: said, This is our choice. And I have something to say about that too. But <laughs> anyway. All right. Booker T. Washington enrolled at the Hampton Normal and Agricultural Institute, now Hampton University, in Virginia in 1872, where he worked as janitor to help pay expenses. He graduated in 1875 and returned to Malden, West Virginia, where for two years he taught children in day school and adults at night. So he was like teaching the whole family. I uh, know. Like, did you ever sleep, bro? Booker T. Washington founded what is now known as Tuskegee University in 1881 and served as its principal until his death in 1915. This institution instilled Washington's principles of providing practical training for African-Americans and helping them develop economic Self-reliance, their mastery of manual trades and agricultural skills. So basically, he was about teaching them trades, farming, stuff like that. Not really big on higher education,
0: vocational skills.
1: Yes, vocational skills. So yeah. I'll stop there, and you go.
0: Oh yes, the very prestigious William Edward Bergart DuBois. Why did his parents do it? I'm really. <laughs> they had stuffed.
1: delusions of grandeur. you
0: okay? Y'all know he was born in the East, right? With a name like this. Born in Massachusetts in 1868. And he died in 1963 in Ghana. He was a sociologist, historian, author, editor, and activist who was the most important Black protest leader in the U.S. during the first half of the 20th century. I think that's more realistic than what your thing said about... Uh, we know Washington. why they
1: said what they said about Washington. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part, but we know oh, why. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah, sure. All right. I got you. <laughs> So W.E.B. Du Bois did his undergrad at Fisk University. That's an HBCU in Tennessee woop woop. in 1888. And he received his Ph.D. in history from Harvard University in 1895, becoming the first Black American to obtain a Ph.D. from Harvard. Hey, that's an
1: accomplishment.
0: So W.E.B. Du Bois believed social change could be accomplished only through agitation and protest. And he promoted this view in his writing and organizing work. His collection of essays called The Souls of Black Folk is a landmark of African-American literature. He was primarily trained in the social sciences, and at a time when sociologists were theorizing about race relations, he conducted research into the condition of Black folks for more than a decade. Du Bois originally believed that social science could provide the knowledge to solve the race problem. I hate that they keep talking about it like this in this research that we did.
1: The race problem.
0: You mean white supremacy? Yes, that's yeah. what they
1: should be calling it.
0: That's what the problem is.
1: That is the problem. There would be no problem if it wasn't for white supremacy, but okay. The race problem. Like it somehow right. just made itself.
0: <laughs> I feel like that's a cop out. It's a sanitized term.
1: Mm-hmm. It puts the onus off on literally everyone else.
0: Yes, it does. And I am going to give you a thumbs down in that regard, Britannica. <laughs> he gradually concluded. That in a climate of racism expressed in such evils as lynching, peonage, disenfranchisement, Jim Crow segregation laws, and race riots, social change could be accomplished only through agitation and protest, like I said earlier.
1: All right.
0: Now we're going to duke it out. Now, fight! Now, now the (laughs) the philosophical fisticuffs! Here
1: we go. It all started when Booker T. Washington decided to try it with his... Atlanta Compromise Speech. That's actually not what it was called, but I think W.E.B. Du Bois actually termed it that and other Black intellectuals.
0: It was not really a compromise, but let's go.
1: They were mocking him. So it was a classic statement on race relations articulated by Booker T. In a speech at the Cotton States and International Exposition in Atlanta on September 18th, 1895, Washington asserted that vocational education, which gave African Americans an opportunity for economic security, was more valuable to them than social advantages, higher education, or political office. Sir, listen. It says in one sentence, he summarized his concept of race relations, appropriate for the times, appropriate being the key word here. This is what this man said. Yes. In all things that are purely social, we can be as separate as the fingers, yet one as the hand in all things essential to mutual progress. In return for African Americans remaining peaceful and socially separate from whites, the white community needed to accept responsibility for improving the social and economic conditions of all Americans, regardless of skin color. Washington argued this notion of shared responsibilities is what came to be known as the Atlanta Compromise. Okay, Because a lot of Black elites were like, the hell is wrong with you Negro? So go ahead.
0: So in 1903, in his book, The Souls of Black Folk, Du Bois wrote that Washington's strategy, rather than freeing the Black man from oppression, would serve only to perpetuate it. And this attack cemented opposition to Booker T. Washington among many Black intellectuals, polarizing the leaders of the Black community into two groups, the conservative supporters of Booker T. and his radical critics. In 1905, Du Bois founded the Niagara Movement, dedicated primarily to attacking the platform of Booker T. Washington, (laughs) the small organization which met annually until 1909, was weakened by internal disagreement.
1: (laughs) Now he started a whole organization.
0: (laughs) It's hilarious. And Washington's opposition, but it was direct inspiration for the NAACP. So Du Bois was one of the founding members of the NAACP in 1909. He was the association's director of research and editor of its magazine, The Crisis. I think he also started that magazine. In this role, he was an influence among middle class black folks and progressive white people as the propagandist for the black protest from 1910 to 1934. So Du Bois acted mainly as an integrationist, but his views always expressed, to some extent, separatist nationalist leanings back when we read about Pan-Africanism. We did not cover him as a Pan-Africanist, but he contributed to that ideology, and he was also a Black nationalist, and we do plan on having an episode up the road on Black nationalism, so we will not dive deeply into that today. In The Souls of Black Folk, Du Bois expressed the characteristic dualism of Black Americans. One ever feels his two-ness, an American, a Negro. Two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideas in one dark body, whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. He simply wishes to make it possible for a man to both be a Negro and an American, without being cursed and spit upon by his fellows, without having the doors of opportunity closed roughly in his face.
1: That's all we all wanted. They wanted back then. That's all we want now.
0: (laughs) I mean, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. It's like, yes, I'm an American because I live here, but then like, I'm also a Black person. And there's a lot of ways in which those identities are at odds because... As we titled an episode in the past, pro-black is anti-American. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should be that way, but unfortunately it is true. Uh, you can see it right now, where people want to talk about American history without talking about black history. Mm-hmm. What's going on with that? They are how? passing
1: laws to make sure black history isn't taught. And there's the erasure of
0: other people's histories, too. Oh, for sure, for sure. But we are Black, so
1: we're talking about us. Same can be said for the Native people, Asian folks, Latinx folks.
0: It is very strange to occupy these identities, and I think he captured it greatly.
1: He really did. That was
0: beautiful. Being an American is supposed to be about access to liberty and freedom. And then you always are coming up against these shackles you've got to throw off and these obstacles you've got to duck under and jump over still.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like you can have freedom for a price. (laughs) Apropos of nothing, really. I forgot to mention (laughs) that Booker T. Washington is also an author and his most noted book is Up From Slavery. The fact that he was born into slavery just, I don't
0: know. That says something about where his philosophy came from, but we're going to get into that just to finish this section. Du Bois resigned from the NAACP in 1934, charging that the organization was dedicated to the interests of the black bourgeoisie and ignored the problems of the masses. We have talked about this. We're going to do an episode on the NAACP up the road. I don't know how we're going to lay it out, considering all that we've said in various (laughs) episodes on like Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks. They come up a lot. I mean, it's a significant part of our history. We're going to have to dive into this because we've talked about how they only spoke for certain Certain black people.
1: Certain black people.
0: Yeah. In contrast with the NAACP, he also held this very controversial stance on segregation That the separate but equal status was an acceptable position for black people.
1: That's contradicting himself, isn't it, though?
0: No, because like I said, he acted as an integrationist, but he had a lot of separatist leanings. There was some hypocrisy in his advocacy. Sure, you could say that.
1: Okay, hypocritical. This very
0: odd. It's tough. I don't blame anybody for being torn. I agree. Yeah, we're going to dissect that. There's some shit to unpack. Okay. After a 10-year hiatus, Du Bois actually returned to the NAACP as the director of special research from 1944 to 48. In this role, he attended the founding convention for the United Nations and advocated for the organization to acknowledge the suffering of Black Americans. I think this is at the time where the Pan-African conferences and Pan-African advocacy overlapped with the United Nations conferences. Um, and we talked about that in our episode on Pan Africanism, which of course I will link in the show notes. But mm-hmm. Du Bois wrote the famous NAACP publication, An Appeal to the World. This was a precursor to a report charging the United States with genocide for its ugly history of state-sanctioned lynchings. And actually one of the Pan-Africanist thought leaders wrote the publication, We charge Genocide. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Just fun fact at this point. Olivia. We like fun facts. We do. We're going to start with what Booker T said. We are. It is attractive, the idea that white people are responsible for everybody's social progress, social climb, social advancement. That is... Kind of true, but not entirely. Uh, We need to have a united front. And unfortunately, as black people, we still have to do a lot of educating of these white people and then encourage the socially aware white people to educate their brethren who Mm -hmm. don't think it's necessary and don't think there's a problem and (laughs) think that black people are contributing to our condition And not realizing that white people have a part in the way that black people are treated in society. Yes, there is work for white people to do. But at the same time, as black people, we have to play a role in lifting ourselves up. We always have. And we should continue to do so. Really, that means we need all hands on deck. So, yes, we need folks with vocational skills. And then we also need folks with higher education. We need everybody, right? When you talk about social advancement is very entangled with economic advancement and economic power yes. and politics, the way that that game is played, a lot of those folks don't have a background of just vocational training. And you cannot expect white people. How can you rely? How can you trust? How could he trust so much at that time? My God. Bruh. That the white politicians were going to advocate appropriately for policies to advance black people economically and socially. Yes, we needed them, but to leave it solely up to them is dangerous.
1: Yeah, you should know, especially having lived through slavery and reconstruction. You should know that majority of white folks are not going to be invested in one day being able if black folks made enough money one day being willing to embrace them into the fold i think that is just so he was really optimistic for optimistic his time. and naive like yes. sir what the bloody hell are you talking about for you to say deliberately that they should forego education in favor of vocation and listen that's true for some people it's still true today that some people like. I say everyone should keep learning, but the learning can look different. It might Mm -hmm. look like college. It might look like, you know, continuing courses, but you should always continue to learn. But to say that, let's focus on building up wealth and then we can go for, he said like to delay seeking full citizenship, delay seeking political power in favor of building up economic power. And then with the patience and thrift of black Americans, that's when the white people would finally be like, "Okay, yeah, we accept you now. We're going to stop killing you now. We're going to incorporate you into the fabric of America now. No.
0: Well, and also, where does vocation end and higher education begin? This is what I don't understand, because the way I look at higher education now is People who are lawyers, doctors, obviously, he considered an educator as a part of the vocational arena, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was an educator himself. And so that's why I just don't have a clear idea on where his perspective of vocation ends and higher education begins.
1: So my idea of higher education might be a bit antiquated, but it's still someone with a college degree. Now, because I don't think
0: that's what he meant though.
1: Hmm, he was college
0: educated himself.
1: We're not entirely sure, remember? We were talking about the normal schools, and you explained what a normal school is. Yeah, okay, so a
0: normal school for people who don't know, it's come up quite a lot in our Black Beauty highlights, but this is the first time we're discussing this in a full length episode. But Hmm. from what I understand from the research that I've done, is normal schools were institutes that educated educators. So this is where people went to become teachers. Mm-hmm. Does that mean they didn't do other things? No, right? Because you hear in a lot of these institutions, normal and industrial school, normal and agricultural school. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, a lot of the time, these institutes were teaching teachers, teaching future teachers and farmers or uh, mechanics and people who went into like factory work
1: right, or so
0: agricultural work of some type.
1: That's more related to trade, except teachers. Except
0: I, the educators thing. That just really throws me. Yes.
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of questions that, quite frankly, I don't have the answers to.
0: His understanding of higher education and vocation is different from ours, quite clearly.
1: It very well could be, and take it to account, you said W.E.B. Du Bois was born in, what, 1868? Yeah. Booker T. Washington was born in 1856. 56. So that is a 12-year difference. But W.E.B. Du Bois still went to an actual college with the yes, university got, yeah. attached. So- He
0: went to two different universities.
1: Exactly. Yes. So for him, I don't know, because universities were around, even Black ones. Mm-hmm. To me, I always took it as he was saying, don't worry about school, do vocational stuff. And then that'll be our path to advancement. Could I be wrong? Absolutely, I could be wrong.
0: Whatever his views were, Mm -hmm. it is still flawed. I think of people becoming lawyers and doctors and professionals of that caliber, legal advocates, nurses, whatever Mm -hmm. people in the medical and legal arena across the board. We definitely needed people in those arenas to support us and our communities because we were being mistreated, still are, in both of those arenas so deeply. And we were being mistreated and neglected and exploited. And so higher education is going to help us have access to these different services without so much of that, without as much of that, with a little bit less Of all of that, it's just so narrow-minded for him to say, let's just focus on vocation and let the white people who care about us do that, and then convince the white people who don't. It's so scarily naive.
1: It was giving kowtowing to white people. It was giving
0: Mm -hmm.
1: maybe... If we don't rock the boat, they'll start to treat us with respect. Yes. That's just never going to sit well. And in my research, I found that a lot of leaders in the U.S., both Southern and Northern, were like, yeah, woo, we love this Booker T. Washington fella. And he actually became basically like the go-to Black guy who was controlling access for Black universities and Black institutions to whether or not they would receive funding and stuff because the white people were cool going through him. Why? Because he was saying something that resonated with them. And I said- Yeah, y'all black notes, people
0: get down, y'all stay down there uh-huh. and we stay up here and everything will be good.
1: Right. All they heard was in all things purely social, we can be as separate as the, as the fingers. They start listening after that. They're like, see, he agrees with us. Very much giving Uncle tom sort yes. of ideology but because of that though the white people the white leaders and stuff are really into him and i say if you are fighting on behalf of black advancement and an overwhelmingly white majority is cheering you on you're doing it wrong mm-hmm. that's not to say he was completely wrong and saying let's seek economic security no that part is not wrong but when a bunch of white people are agreeing yeah, yeah, go, buddy. You're doing a great job. I think you need to reevaluate your strategy,
0: especially at that time. <laughs>
1: especially.
0: Okay, so I have two things to say. One, it's naive in another sense because if you read anything about the Great Migration, you understand the black people who were vocationally educated were in competition with poor white people, and so many mob attacks, riots, assaults, outbreaks of violence were over for white people or just vocationally educated white people believing that black people were taking jobs away from them. To say that there is a place for us there where we were facing violence as a people is also naive. And I'm not going to say he didn't acknowledge it. I don't I don't know one way or the other. I would like to believe he did.
1: He did acknowledge He spoke out against lynchings and things of that nature.
0: But again, it's like, how do you think that is our end? That is how we're going to make progress. This is just really making my brain itch. How do you not see the greater need? I am just completely stumped. And I would love to just know where his view of where where does vocation end and higher education begin?
1: I have to give credit where credit is due, but it does say that he secretly participated in lawsuits.
0: Of course he did.
1: For voter registration, inhibition, and so on and so forth. But why are you doing that secretly? Why don't you stand 10 toes down? Because you knew. You knew. If you came out publicly and like, actually, I do support my people in getting the right to vote, even though I said we don't need to worry about that right now, because you got the black folks who are like, well, maybe he has a point. Even though he said, let's not worry about that right now. He knew that if too many white folks found out that he was pushing for black voters and all that, that it wouldn't have gone well for him. So it's like, so you did understand. Yeah, there was hypocrisy. Yeah. Sitting around like good little Negroes waiting for white people to finally give us some crumbs from their table is not ever going to be the way it wasn't then. It's not now. It's not going to be 300 years from now.
0: The other thing I wanted to say is I've called it hypocrisy several times, but I'm kind of hesitant. I I just think there's some cognitive dissonance, really, Mm. is the better term, because I do want to recognize this guy was born into slavery. He was raised by people who were slaves, and that's going to inform his mindset. Fair enough. And so there are going to be conflicting ideas about how to get to Black advancement within this one mind.
1: That's a fair statement.
0: He's going to have an idea about what the majority of Black people should be doing in order to survive. And then what a handful of Black people should be doing in order to make sure that we can survive in peace. And I am recognizing that conflict, that internal struggle there. It's still not completely consistent, though, for you to be a person with education, starting educational institutions and telling people that they need to be vocationally trained, which whatever. I do think the way Tuskegee started, it was focused on vocational training. Mm -hmm. And then it's obviously evolved into more than that. Now, I do think coming out of slavery, though, kind of it didn't allow him to see what was inconsistent with his philosophy on black advancement especially when you think about his philosophy versus his behavior, his philosophy versus his activism.
1: I agree. Very conflicted person, I'm sure. I'm still he mad. Was. Yeah. I'm still mad, but I can acknowledge that that's a difficult spot to be in.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to tackle Du Bois here? First of all, the belief that social change can only be accomplished through agitation and protest.
1: I actually agree with that.
0: I don't know what agitation means.
1: Rocking the boat. Flip the tables.
0: <laughs> this is a very broad concept.
1: I was going to say he specified protest, but maybe he means
0: like. Oh, you said agitation and protest.
1: Yeah, no, I said he specified protest, but in my mind, protesting is part of agitating.
0: I think agitation is even like legal advocacy. Yeah. Right. I mean, he did activism with the UN and NAACP. And um, I mean, like, listen, we're not going through all the things that these men did. I mean, we Mm -hmm. could have a whole separate podcast. But I think it's interesting that at first he thought social science (laughs) would help us. Even though it was racist at the time. Like, yeah, if we just change the way people think through academics, we'll get there. And I do think academics has helped to some extent. Depends on your audience. Exactly. It helps depending on who you are talking to, but we've said it in several episodes. We need all hands on deck. We need the vocationally trained people, but we all, and we need the academics as well. We need the people getting in the dirt protesting and. We need people in the legal system fucking shit up. We need people challenging ideas in the the medical system and the mental health system and all of these different institutions. We need agitation at every level.
1: Yes, a multi-fronted attack on white supremacy and ableism and all that. Absolutely.
0: That belief is just so broad. Fortunately, it doesn't exclude higher education. True. Because... Like I said, you can be agitating in so many different ways, as he was.
1: (laughs) Ask his contemporaries. (laughs) (laughs) They probably hated to see him coming like, man, did y'all see? Ain't nobody listening to William. Here he go again. He always mad about something. He was
0: shit talking everybody, (laughs) bro. I love it so much. I do think it's interesting. He said that Booker T's stance would perpetuate the oppression of Black people. And when you think about what I said earlier about my criticisms of Booker T's philosophy, I absolutely agree with that. That if you say y'all stay down here while the white people handles the bigger problems up here. And in fact,
1: it did. That encourages oppression. By the time Booker T died, we had a very racist system. From mm-hmm. the bottom to the top, from local grassroots all the way up to the upper echelons of government. So W.E.B. Du Bois was right.
0: The fact that he started a whole organization dedicated
1: That is so funny <laughs> to to me. Ta- I'm just like he was committed to tearing what? this brother down. He was he like I will ass- stop it group. nothing. <laughs> Not too had enough people, though, that agree and join the damn organization. Like that shit is (laughs) so funny.
0: (laughs) I did want to get a little bit into his the conflict between his philosophy and his activism. Mm -hmm. Right. Because like I said earlier, acted as an integrationist, but views expressed pro-segregation leanings. And this idea that the separate but equal status was acceptable for black people. That's intriguing. That's we need to unpack.
1: <laughs> problematic, but that's low key kind of what Booker T was saying. Like, because that was the status quo at the time. That's separate but equal. They were talking about schools, but in general, right? The whites only this and that. For you to say. <laughs> Now you got a problem with Booker T talking about how you basically it's like how you gonna get in front of these white people and act a fool. That's low key what his essential response was to the Atlanta Compromise. But then you turn around and you say, I mean, but it's cool, kind of the way we already are because the separate but equal thing did not come into play after he said it; it was already in play.
0: I don't know if Du Bois had an idealistic vision of what separate but equal could mean because. Oh? I don't know if he thought the way that things are separate right now is good. Probably not. I mean, I'm sure he saw the issues with that when he was talking about peonage and disenfranchisement and and Jim Crow segregation. He was not cool with Jim Crow segregation, right? Mm -hmm. That's what some people have to realize. Just because somebody is okay with segregation doesn't mean they're okay with Jim Crow style segregation. Okay, that's fair. Or legally mandated segregation, right? Because- (gasps) You can be segregated without that.
1: That is true. Yes. because I'm like that now, for example, when it comes to like, I don't know, life stuff like, for example, I'm going on this retreat and it's specifically for black women. We're segregating ourselves, but I'm not opposed to going living next to non-black people, working with them, blah, blah, blah. But in this one space. I want this to be all black women. And so, of course, clearly does the organizers, because we are going to be discussing things about mental health and so on and so forth. So I guess I get that. I did not consider I did paint segregation all with one brush. Like, what Mm -hmm. the hell, bro? But no. okay, I think. Yeah,
0: I think he had a different view of segregation. Because there are plenty of places where the separate but equal status is very true. We can think of communities all over this country where they are very insular. They're here in the United States. They're very proud of being insular. They encourage it. But not
1: cults. We're not talking about cults. We're
0: not talking about cults. We're (laughs) talking about cultures. It is for the continued progress and to make sure that there is not a foothold lost when it comes to social and economic advancement. And so I see why he held that position. The thing about a lot of black communities is we are nowhere near as insular as other cultural communities are. True. In blending into society, <sighs> I don't want to say that we lost a foothold per se. Compromises
1: but have to be made.
0: It has made it so that making social progress, making economic progress is more of a fight in some regard. Mm-hmm. Because now we have to appeal to all different types of people. We don't just have to appeal. We're not in places where we only have to appeal to each other.
1: Right. And not that any group, no matter how insular, is ever a monolith unless they're being like coerced in some way. But what's good for the black community is not something that even most black people can agree upon. So you do kind of lose that. It's like, it's hard to fight when you don't have a real direction.
0: I wouldn't even say that black people don't have a real direction, but I think you do lose sight of it more easily when you have all these other instances of discrimination and these layers of, you have to play other people's game in order to get ahead. Yeah. And if it was us in our community, we wouldn't have to pander to that so much. Yeah. And let's take a really simple example so that this is just not so abstract here. Education. If we had more insular black communities, we could have our own schools with our own teachers like it used to be. And like it isn't still is in some places. People can pass these stupid ass laws in their school boards and say, don't teach about black history here. And it wouldn't matter so much because there's not as many black people going to their school. The issue we have right now is that these laws are being passed at the state level. So that is very problematic.
1: I have something to say about that. Yeah. I have a friend who went to an Afrocentric school. She said that they were taught all of this stuff. But unfortunately, while it was technically a school, it's a charter school, they still had to follow the state's curriculum Yes. because of that. She was like, I knew all about the, you know, I'm just going to generalize it, all the black stuff. She was like, but when it came to what the state wanted us to learn or what, what we'd really be getting graded on and being able to receive our um, graduation diplomas and stuff like that. She was like, we failed at that because they were like, you can teach whatever you want, but you have to teach this stuff. Yes, having your own school. You're still fighting against.
0: Oh, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The political system, as it were. You are. Unless you're homeschooling, I think. But maybe I then. still
0: think there would be less types of discrimination. I mean, and, and black educators throughout history have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of black children having black teachers, the impact that has on mental health. Mm-hmm. When you send black kids to predominantly white schools or kids who have predominantly white educators and the way that that impacted their mental health, we can think of things happening right now. The way that black children and black youth are negatively impacted because they're integrated into the public mm-hmm. education system, I guess you could say. Yeah, 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 There are higher instances of certain negative outcomes mm-hmm. because black kids aren't being Mentored and educated primarily by Black educators and other Black role models and not Um, being educated about their Black role models.
1: And the inherent racism. Beyond the fucking
0: entertainment industry.
1: Right. And the negative Black bias that permeates our education system that throws Black children into classes they don't need to be in or criminalizes them. Yeah, all that plays in.
0: Editing Raven here. I want to add to what I was saying. Even though a predominantly Black or Afrocentric school has to follow the academic standards set by the state, it's still important that Black and brown children learn this curriculum through a lens that's not sanitized and not Eurocentric. Also, I think back to my school days And the amount of classroom time we spend on doing busy work, watching movies just for fun activities, reviewing homework, etc. That's classroom time that could be used to learn about cultural perspectives and angles, which are typically excluded from the textbook or standard curriculum. Back to the conversation. It's not to say all of our issues would disappear if we were segregated. No one is saying that. We just have other issues. There are issues that we would deal with a lot less if we were That just is true. (laughs) I also don't want to ignore. I mean, yeah, there were black schools and there were establishments. Black people were legally mandated to stick to and attend and could only be in these places. And those places were neglected, right? They didn't get the funding, they didn't get the resources. When you talk about separate but equal, there is no favor. Yes, we are segregated, but nobody is favored one group over the other. So, like, let's take separate but equal and apply it to a different group of people. Our version of separate but equal in the disability community was when the ADA passed in 1990. And we still don't have separate but equal. Uh, There are a lot of things that are separate, but there's still a lot of unfair treatment. And we have to fight for equal access or fight for equal opportunities still and we truly do need separate but equal. Not to say that the Black community doesn't, but <laughs> as a disabled person, uh, yeah, we can't function without it.
1: Right. We need separate print or computer, whatever right. technology, but we do need equal education, equal access to set education and so on and so yeah.
0: forth. We really do need the separate but equal option. We haven't attained that as disabled people.
1: Not fully, no.
0: I don't even know if we're halfway there. I've got questions. Yeah, I have doubts, very strong doubts, and very strong negative experiences, and all of that. But I just wanted to remove it from the race issue to give an example of, of how segregation is positive in some respects. Legally mandated segregation is not. To say it's illegal if you go to this school as a black person. To say that you are not protected as a black person if you go to a predominantly white school, all of that, that's fucked up, that's stupid. People should be able to attend school, work, go out for drinks, pee, you know, wherever they like provided that they're doing it in a decent manner I okay. agree. it should not be legally mandated but at the same time i wouldn't necessarily be opposed to social segregation in some regards and more opportunities for it because white people have it off the jump mm-hmm. and, and people don't think of it that way but white people have it off the jump there are so many places that they can go that are white white only spaces and nobody says that nobody says it has to be that way society is just set up this way lots of white only spaces and not nearly as many black majority spaces as there used to be.
1: I personally am okay with selective segregation. I'm okay yeah, with it.
0: Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of that term earlier.
1: I think that there are in some some cases, like I was just talking to someone, I think it was my sister yesterday. I was like, you know, if someone said, I work with Chinese women to do X, Y, Z, and they are also a Chinese woman, this kind of goes back to my our cultural competence. I'm not going to take offense to that because I do personally believe that sometimes what's understood does not need to be explained. And you just want to feel safe with people in your own culture, right? Insofar as stuff like that goes, I'm okay with selective segregation. I know that's a really like real lacy, fluffy kind of topic, but it's stuff like that. Now we're talking about paycheck. Like I just did research, for example. I'm not okay with a system that's still in 2021. We're in 2023 now, but the research was done in 2021 that said, even still today, Black Americans make 63 cents for every dollar that white people make. It should be a dollar one-to-one, okay? We should all be making a dollar for every dollar everybody else is making. You know what I mean? So in situations like that, yes, we do need to get in there and agitate. We do need to flip some damn tables so that this stops being a thing because it's still a thing. He died in what, 1963? Yeah. And we're still having these same issues. So, no, there is something to be said about certain types of segregation. As I said, selective segregation That's going to be beneficial for people in marginalized cultures. But when it comes to political and economical and so on and so forth, nah, nah. Educational, nah, 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 nah.
0: This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us. I-squared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello, at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.